Welcome to the Media Cat Magazine podcast. Thank you for tuning in for the next in our series, Rebel with a Cause, with me, Opal Turner. For this series, we're talking about the relationship between creativity and strategy, or in my other words, art, science and logic. It's my pet theory that strategy and planning can be a creative secret weapon and vice versa, and that we overly separate the disciplines in our industry. Today, we have not one, but two lovely guests with us. Sally and Jen are co-founders of Craft Media and Craft sits between creative and media agencies to get brands noticed and I'm thrilled to have them both today. Thank you both for joining us. It's our pleasure, Opal. Thanks for having us. Absolute joy. Thank you so much. Shall we dive right in because I would love to just start by learning a bit more about you both and kind of your journeys to the point where you started Craft. Um, okay, so I'll kick off. Um, I, I started in the industry in 1989, um, probably before you even went to uni, I imagine, April, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, at the time, I was part of the, I was, uh, I joined the media department at JW, JWT, J. Walter Thompson. Um, and so media and creative were very much part of the same team. So all of my career, I've been all about bringing those two, making sure those two disciplines work um, in harmony together. Um, but I've worked all over the place, you know, different creative agencies as their in-house comms planner. So WCRS was my other big, big agency. And then um, more recently, I suppose I was MD at Initiative. So sort of working my way up through through media agencies. And I was always a very big conscientious objector to that division of creative and media to the point where I actually left the industry for a year because I was just like, this is going to be a disaster. You know, we might let's all give up and go home. Um, so, uh, yeah, big proponent of the, the brilliance that happens, the magic that happens when you bring those two disciplines together just to sort of chew the fat and work, work your noodle your way around a, around a problem. Um, and I suppose the, the 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 sort of the impetus for craft was seeing a gradual separation of the two disciplines. You know, media was increasingly becoming efficient. Um, there was uh, in, an increasing number of media plans that were kind of landing or campaigns landing in the world without the media buyers ever having seen the creative work. Um, and in and. It, uh, on the other side as well, I think we were seeing a lot of creative agencies that were jumping to an ad campaign as the answer rather than actually having the fun of going toe-to-toe -to -toe with a great comm strategist to just try and work out, is there another way? And that, you know, it was all becoming a bit bland and a bit obvious. And I know Jen felt exactly the same. We were, there was a meeting of minds uh, in Finsbury Square. Uh, yeah, so my background sort of uh, a bit more classical in media um though i worked my way up through the big network agencies so from wpp started at mindshare planning and buying b2b campaigns um quickly realized i was not a buyer uh, so moved out of that uh then i went to phd um i was there for 10 years um and sort of honestly you know we talk about common strategy it's not like we made it up like it, it, it has existed. It, it was there. It's just that it's like everybody forgot how to do it. So PhD at the time was really where I sort of lent into that opportunity and sort of joined up creative work. So I worked on 
vocabulary, missed gorilla, but did do eyebrows um, and did some, uh, I worked on Adidas, did uh, some worked on really great creative uh, campaigns that lent into the combination of media and creativity and then went to Maxis where I ended up as being global, uh, what was my job title? Global Creative Director. Um, which sounds, which pissed a lot of people off, to be perfectly honest, that somebody in a media agency was being called that. But the point was exactly this, is that my job was to try and pull the creativity out of people from the media perspective so that they weren't just distributing an idea, but they sort of understood what the idea was and how media can help blow it out, make it more playful, sort of play what if with a good creative team because you understand we just got different toys that you can sort of start to play with. Absolutely. And it does, if when it's done right, it does such an incredible job of enhancing any idea with you on that. And so when you, when you did, when your minds did meet, um, what, what, what were your kind of goals, your sort of philosophy? Obviously there's, there's craft is a very, you know, meaningful word in and of itself. So I'm just intrigued what you were kind of thinking and um, what goals you were kind of setting yourself out with at that time obviously one of them being making sure creativity was at, at the heart but could you just go into a little bit more detail for me yeah so it was the um, back end of 2017 when we first started talking about you know is there an opportunity to create um, a consultancy that sits in the middle between creative and media and brings back the art of comms planning um and it's as Jen said, it's the it's the bit of media planning or comp that that everyone's forgotten how to do. You know, they literally jump straight to the answer is a media plan. Now, how shall I spend your budget very efficiently? As opposed to let's work around an idea and blow it out and make it famous. Um, and we, I, I suppose, it's important to say that there is there are pockets of brilliant comp strategy coming out of media agencies but it's not consistent across every single client, right? If you're Tesco, you get the best comm strategy that money can buy coming out of Mediacom. It's literally excellent. If you are spending £100,000 um, for your entire marketing campaign, it's very uh, likely that you won't see a comm strategist. You might at best get a media planner on your business. So we, you know, there's good pockets of it, but we wanted to be consistent. We wanted to make sure that comms planning was being used to help um, drive a client's business as hard and as fast as it possibly could, you know, regardless of spend, I suppose. Um, so we, we wanted to sit as a neutral team. We wanted to make sure that we could tell a client to stop spending. We could tell them that the answer was to redo their website we could suggest that they needed to put more into pr than that you know we needed to take a neutral position and i think we we both feel like you know because there are so many different things that the answer could be you've really got to have someone sitting in a neutral position in order to take that point of view and as much as we love them the answer from a media agency is always going to be spend more on media um so yeah, that's. And I suppose what we should say, Sally, is the thing that makes us different as a consultancy is that we don't buy media. So we are strategy and planning. So we do move into media planning, but we felt it was really important when we set up. Basically, we're not going to be rich. Is what we've worked. 
because <laughs> all the money is in media buying, but we'll be happy. Um, but so, so we are deliberately neutral. Uh, we are not rewarded for the investment of the media budget. It is a fee-based service that we offer, which gives us a degree of, of neutrality, um, which I think was important for us I think to state when we say other people buy media and why we're different is because it is um we're, we're additional we should it should be all right to get us in on any project if you um we're not in competition with either creative agencies or media agencies it's it's a different skill set that gets added on I can imagine that's quite freeing in a lot of senses actually just kind of mentally knowing that you don't have to hold yourself to to that incentivization of buying more media after those years of doing it it is really freeing i mean we we we've grown much faster than we thought we ever would so we're now 24 people um but we we've realized that when we hire planners or strategists we almost have to break them for three months you know, that that probation period, and we were very honest about this to say it's going to be bloody awful. You're going to hate it. You're we're going to make you you know you will question your life decisions because you've been sort of trained to deliver an answer in a certain way, and actually we want you to do the opposite. We want you to take a step back and think more generally about what 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 is the what's the challenge that we're trying to overcome with comms and what's its role. Um, and that takes some, that there's, it's like breaking a horse really. You've just got to, it, it, there's a lot of kickback, lots of lots of tears for the first few months and all of a sudden the light goes on and they're like, oh my God, this is amazing. We're also teaching people how to have a point of view on creative. Like, because they, it's been so divorced and, you know, we have not helped ourselves by every time we get in a room with a creative team sort of going, make it smaller but make it fit on this size like or make it into three seconds so i get why we're not all always welcome in the room creative agencies equally can be a bit snotty about ideas coming from places that aren't there so we collectively haven't helped ourselves but we are teaching people have a point of view like like engage this is this is the thing that we're doing so lean into it you know do you like the creative work do you think it works how do you think it's um exemplifying the strategy where do you think it so encouraging people to have a voice about it has been a huge part of what we do in terms of when people come in because they've been told they're not allowed to have a point of view on it um and that is releasing those shackles and creating relationships with creative agencies where they allow us to do that and welcome it. Like they, they're like, what do you think? It is a big part of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a complete mindset shift, really. I mean, you know, I even from, from my experience, you know, I describe strategy and creativity as art, science and logic. And, and therefore many people feel you can't do both or have a mind that works both ways. And obviously, you're in a similar sense trying to create that mindset of stepping back, looking at it slightly more objectively from a creative standpoint, having your own feelings and point of view about it. And in that, I'm really interested because I, I love also love the phrase like it's like breaking in a horse mm -hmm. um, because that is how mindsets work, right? Like they're so ingrained, we have to break them down and then build them back up again. 
Is there any specific ways that you find have been really helpful to help people get out of that mindset and, and into a slightly freer one? It's an excellent question. I think it's a lot of it is by uh, by watching us do it. So, you know, the, the fact that your, your bosses effectively are going toe-to-toe with Nils Leonard in a room over a you know, what the idea is, how we can pull it and stretch it. The more you see that in action, the easier it is to know that it's acceptable. And, you know, there are ways of having those discussions that aren't combative, that are building. And he, and he's a brilliant example. And we always say if it doesn't work out for Nils creatively, he can kind of be, be a comms planner because he, he, thinks, <laughs> he, he thinks in ideas. He thinks in, you know, in his 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 ideas have a cadence and a rhythm to them, which is exactly what we're trying to teach our team to have to think about: is how does this land in the world? What do you see when? You know, what sort of what sort of what sort of energy should it have? What's its body language? Um, and and Nils gets that really well. I mean, we're quickly getting to understand the type of creative agencies that embrace us and want to work with us and the type that want us to deliver a media plan and they're the ones that we will sort of work less well with or or not at all outside of uh, sally and myself the other thing that we're well integrated into the apg uh, which was a real uh really important thing for me as i was coming up and sorts of i was invited to sit on the apg council a few years ago it was brilliant you get to meet loads of other people that in these little silos that we create you don't necessarily get to mix with um so one thing our strategy team in particular they are uh, attending the meetings they're running courses they're presenting the all different types of agencies creative media pr etc so we are leaning into that resource as a way of us having those conversations and building up that skill set and opening the door, you know, to other people as well to ask us the questions. It's almost it's almost like a, a question of exposure, isn't it? It's it's people do understand it, people kind of intuitively understand how to think that way, but we build these mindsets up that block us from from doing that. So that exposure to you guys, to Nils, just lock him in a room with Nils, it'll be fine. Um, is is kind of is breaking that back down mm-hmm. through kind of gentle exposure, I guess. And I think, you know, before we started Craft, we went and had long discussions with a lot of creative agencies. Um, and a lot of them said, you know what, we when we get a decent comm strategist in the room, it's fantastic. Mm. You can have brilliant conversations. It makes the work better. The reality is you rarely get one. You know, media agencies are so are stretched so thinly that the best, you know, you could ask for a comm strategist. And I know as I, when I was running initiative, the creative agencies within IPG would always be, can, can I have a comm strategist to help on X, Y, or Z? And I could never free them up because there's barely, you know, I have two in the entire business. So last thing I could do is just chuck one over to them for a week but you could send them a you know social media planner but of course they're not they're not senior enough to know that actually they can have a point of view they can change the direction of the idea they can you know they can push and pull and and debate and it 
I imagine it very strongly becomes kind of an internal brand thing for you guys at Craft. Like it, it becomes a cultural norm that you have to establish internally um, so that you can build that confidence up in your stuff externally. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you guys you talk about keeping up with the pace of change as one of the biggest challenges for for brands. And I'm interested. So you started in 2017, so it's been, you know, five, six years now. How much do you feel or has at all your your kind of goals and your philosophy and how you do things internally changed over those years? What are what are the big lessons? It's totally changed, if I'm honest. So we started March 2018 uh, was when we officially started. And if I'm really honest, uh, Sally and I set it up because we had a bit of a middle-aged lady drop. Like we both left big agencies and sort of in that sort of slamming the door and fine, we'll do it ourselves then. Um, and honestly, the plan was that the two of us would just, somebody would give us a job, right? Some, we'd wander around Soho. That was our new business strategy. Sally used to make me walk up and down Soho streets until we bumped into somebody we knew. Um, and then they'd ask us what we were doing. But it was just going to be the two of us. We were just going to maybe sit with a few creative teams, help earn a living, go home. So um, it was, and it was, we thought it would be quite high strategy, like quite high directional comm strategy that therefore might inform a creative brief. The reality is, as you know, as we sort of got in with more clients, as we have grown, as we also identified that media planning's not great either, to be honest. Like, um, we have stretched down into media planning. And when I say media planning's not great, again, it's become a bit cookie cutter. It's like every plan, take the logo off, it just looks the same because the... The objective of putting that plan together is how do I reach these people as cheaply as possible? So therefore, you get the same media channels delivered at the same weights, at the same cadence. You can't tell whose brand it is. So we have, as we have grown, moved from being quite high strategic sort of uh, consultants into more application of a campaign into paid comms. So we still talk about paid content, it's wider than media that we can have a point of view. Um, because that understanding of the media science that sits behind putting a media plan together, plus this idea of a brand having a body language, you should be able to know what... Two products should have different plans because they should move through the world um, differently, even if it's Dove and Nivea and it's moisturizer, that you should be able to feel that these two brands are differently. They should hang out in different places. They should have different friends that they associate with. Um, so for us, the whole thing about craft has changed. Like it was going to be two of us. There's naturally four of us. It was going to be high-end strat. It's now all the way down into execution, very strong point of view, measurement and things like that. So yeah, and what it will be in five years' time, I mean, who knows? to be honest. We just won't buy. We are not interested in buying. <laughs> One hard, hard luck. I love that term, body language. Just like that simple term alone has like completely opened my mind on how to think about media as part of... It's just genius. It's just genius. It's 
that is all. <laughs> we um I'll give you a good example of body language. Um we were sitting in the reception area of uh, one of the network agencies. We used to just tip up and steal their coffee and Wi-Fi and um, hope someone would pass us by and come and talk to us. Anyway, one of the creative teams came downstairs and said, look, we've um, we've done this uh, new campaign for the launch of a, a food mixer. I forget, I can't even remember the brand, Braun or something like that. It was £500 and, and the... It was quite a junior creative team and they'd worked this, they got this ad and they put it into good housekeeping opposite a recipe for baking or something. And it was fine, you know, fine. And Jen said, you know what? The thing is, you're all you're doing is telling people that this product exists. And arguably nobody needs a 500 pound food mixer. So your role for comms, is not about awareness. Your role for comms is to create desire, right? You have to make people want this. And at the moment, you're operating at a very rational level. So let's think about if we were to follow the comms model for a car and we were to shoot the angles of the mixer and we were to put them on the side of a building as a billboard and we were to give it a body language that was all about evoking desire, how would that change your creative work? And it was like a light bulb moment for this team because you could see them going, shit, okay, got it. I've got the difference between a role of role for comms of simple awareness, which is rational and boring, and a role for comms that ha- that is desire and swagger and all of those things that make people notice you. Um, so yeah, body language is a huge part of 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 how we think about comms. Brilliant. I mean, I immediately do want to see that mixer. Yeah, <laughs> I ended up doing with it. Um, so you do you. One of the things that I think is fa- so fascinating is obviously it's is you've created this kind of neutral position, but it's also this very central position, I feel, between creative media and and brands. Is there is there something kind of fundamentally you feel like you offer them all or do you have to have this kind of constantly transformational giving people different different things or do you feel like they all come to you for a, a similar kind of skill set or mindset? I think it's all similar. I think they come to us. So we we get we do really well with quite big clients who've just lost their way, and they have they've been churning out the same media, broadly the same media plan for years. They no longer know whether they're spending their money in the right way. So they come to us for a bit of an injection of of you know is is there a, something else that we should be thinking about? Um, and then we do really well with clients who really respect strategic thinking, probably have ambitions greater than their budgets, want to know that they they need to get it right from the outset. So you know, let's not waste time just spending some money on media in a haphazard way. Let's make strategic decisions. Um, and we talk about the work that we do helping clients say no to good ideas um, because you know they're going to have hundreds of good ideas right it's just knowing which is the right idea for now in your current um state um so i i think they're the two sort of the the big client basis for us those sort of people want to get it right from the outset and people who need an injection of 
of creativity and and rigor really how this sounds slightly silly but how do you actually do that how do you find has been really um helpful in kind of connecting those teams because as we've said it's become this very structurally separate thing to the point that you have to break down people's mindsets but so that they are able to think in different ways it's very ingrained in in kind of all of us and how we work how do you start kind of structuring those projects obviously you're working with people who recognize they need some of what you've got obviously they've got that intent but i imagine it can be quite difficult for them to then go through the process that they're not used to is there any kind of specific ways that you kind of structure projects and meetings in specific ways to support that or is it you know how you talk about creative and strategy and and it's and it's input and and working together yeah it was when we um we did some work on ourselves and our own brand when we first set up um and we worked on our values uh and our values are to be the craftiest and to be the nicest and the reason why they are those two things is exactly what you've said, is that, frankly, you you don't need us. You can get by existing normally using all the traditional resources that are out there. So you have to want us because that's we're crafty. We will find another way. We give a shit more than other people. We literally understand the craft of putting a plan together. But nicest was a really important value for us to have on top because that's that's the emotional gel that enabled us to be in the room. So everybody has to want craft in the room because you could kill us, right? If if we and we thought, you know, when we launched, you know, there would be a bit more animosity. The opposite has been true. You, you have to want us in the room. We have to be nice. We have to make the effort to be the gel that joins everything up. We talk about to be a good comms planner. You you never get to pick up the Oscar. You you know, like being honest, no creative will ever give you the credit for what you've done to help blow that idea. You'll just come back in the next day and it's on the wall, like the inputs and the stimulus and it's been interpreted. You have to be okay with that. Like and media plan will get the media buyers will get the credit for delivering a really effective and efficient media plan. Nobody's gonna go, I I see what you have delivered here we talk about being a character actor so you you will you make everybody else look better you make the creative more famous you make media more effective and efficient you give pr a role within the organization you are there to enhance and join it all up together um but you won't be picking up the oscar so yet the other value of being the nicest is like people have got one us on the team we've got to be the guys that you want to pick up the phone to um and as much as we do very well on that there is still some barriers in place so um the network still can be like no not on our you're not invited in even if we know we can help it's still some challenges that come from you know not in our patch not on our clients etc in a way that the independent sector whether it's creative agencies or media agencies frankly have embraced us and sort of said yeah dive on in this can all help and so do you try to get involved very on early on in the kind of briefing and, and strategy process or do you come in when 
your creative brief is happening or is it a mix of all of the above when when people go help <laughs> and they need you um i'm just interested i'm trying to imagine you in a in a room and i'm just intrigued to know more the, the very best process um uh, is to bring us in ahead of the creative brief being written um, and the reason for doing that is not to in any way tread on the creative agency toes, but to make sure that they have the best brief possible. So allow us to do what we call our phase one, which is all the grunt work that goes into a strategy. You know, what's been, what using all of the data points, what's been happening to this brand over the years? Um, what can we see happen when they, when they, um, when they advertise? what's been uh, proper audience analysis, um, looking for the spaces and opportunities within markets where comms can actually help. So where are the gaps that we can that we can point comms into? Making sure that all of that work is done rigorously so that then all the creative agency then needs to do is take that, interpret it, pull it into a, I say all, it's obviously, a you know, a big deal, but making sure that they're doing it from not just the blurb of information that clients sometimes send out is it's it's information that's been analyzed in a way that is directional for comms. Um, so that's our phase one. And idea in the ideal process, we would do that ahead of any creative brief being written. And where it works best is when we can then start to debate where the, the the gaps and the opportunities with with the planners within agencies just to make sure that we're all lined up that it's it's you know what we're doing is being useful so that's phase one phase two happens at the same time as creative development so creators will be looking at what's their idea we'll be looking at what's the shape of plan what's the cadence are we looking for a firework are we looking for sort of tribal bubbles what what is the and when you talk to creators about a shape of a plan, it's more useful actually than talking about channels. So that's phase two, and that's done much more sort of collaboratively, I suppose, with creative development as it goes on. And then phase three is very much in the weeds of planning. So executional detail, formats, weights, channels, et cetera. Um, and they, that tends to be the structure of all of our projects. Sounds so fun. It's so fun. <laughs> It's fun. Tell me more. Um, it sounds fantastic. I mean, I think that's kind of the dream from my perspective of how things would work. And so, when it comes, obviously, when it comes to creativity and strategy, and then the separation of of media from them both, often, obviously, you know, that has massively affected you both because it was, you know, part of part of your core philosophy as individuals and and what you set up craft to do. But I'm interested in what you think the the impact has been on the actual work. You know, if there's any examples you have um, of times it's gone, you know, incredibly well, probably when you're working with Uncommon and Nils. Um, but just give us some kind of sense of tangibility about, about what magic that can happen. Because I think it can be hard for some people whose brains don't naturally work in more than one way to understand what can come out of that? And so if we can kind of give an example of 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 the magic that does happen because it is so intangible to a degree. Um, I'd really love to hear what your thoughts are on that. The Brewdog was one of our first clients, um, and uh, 
introduced to us by Uncommon. So Nils had been working with James, the founder at Brewdog, and he'd um, produced this ad basically on PowerPoint. It had the word advert behind it. Do you remember it? It had the word advert, a can of um, of punk IPA, I think it was. And he, over the top of that still image, he played a, um, a track by Meshuggah, a hard metal track. And um, it was 30 seconds of this, which is deeply uncomfortable to watch. It was obnoxious. It was one of the most obnoxious ads we've ever seen. And he called and said, look, we've, uh, I've, I've made this on PowerPoint and um, uh, the client's got 100 grand to spend on media. It's never, never spent on advertising before. And the media agency that he's used has said that it should go on YouTube because of that. Um, so uh, I went over and I watched this 30 seconds of painful uh, video. <laughs> um, and I said, you know what? It, it takes one spot to make you famous. And actually, for that budget, I can probably buy you five. I, you know, we can get digital channels. We can get the Game of Thrones finale. We can get the FA Cup final. We can get, you know, a... We can look for the programs that are talked about the most on Twitter. And because this is a really uncomfortable piece of creative work, it just might happen that it kicks off on Twitter, right? That's the dream. And true enough, uh, I mean, James was the fan was brilliant. I was like, I'm going to buy you five spots. That's it. And he said, fine, go for it. Bought the five spots. Um, they played out every time a spot played out, Twitter kicked off and traffic to the website, to the Brewdog website increased. So you could see an immediate sort of cause and effect. But that, you know, the point is you usually look at a hundred grand budget and go YouTube. That's not, a, it's not, a, it's not the wrong answer, right? It's just, it wasn't the right answer for that really obnoxious creative idea. Um, he also then produced a be at a bus side with the same creative treatment, obviously no track. And we knew that everyone would get pissed off um, in the industry because it wasn't really an ad. That we we picked the bus route that went past all the ad agencies. You were like, we also need to be yeah. obnoxious. That was yeah, yeah, yeah. We well, yeah. That is it, though, right? That's your bo- that's Brewdog's body language. Is how obnoxious can you possibly be? annoy everyone and you know and it, like I say it cost about £5.60 in total but you know it's just like one bus just annoying the fuck out of the whole industry yeah. I am obsessed with this this is I think this is about the fifth time I've said genius but there are no words absolutely genius but that's exactly the point right it's like I cannot fundamentally understand how the industry has got partly obviously because I haven't been in it that long but how the industry has got to a point where we've separated creative from the context it lives in because that yeah is everything because it it literally doubled down on the obnoxiousness yeah and made it so much more powerful as a result yeah and that's right you know it, it was really obnoxious but you you kind of go it could have got lost on YouTube yeah. Or we could have just had a Twitter storm and a campaign, people writing to campaign, people complaining. Let's do that. That's fun. And so much more on brand for them, as you say. Like, fundamentally, like, you know, 
I think there is there is definitely a point in the process where I think uh, the kind of the fundamental brand values of of the client brand get kind of lost somewhere along the process, especially when we're talking about those media plans that become that very cookie cutter. Oh, it's best practice type situation and it's like yes but is it best practice at this time for this brand with this brand value in the, in this way um and that's such a great example of of the magic that happens when when you don't think that way and i will think about that often now <laughs> <laughs> literally obsessed with it i'm interested if you think that that there's an industry-wide effect so just kind of laddering up from that specific piece of work i mean we've all read you know the various papers that have have said that creativity in advertising is kind of gradually declining so on and so forth do you agree with that or do you think that there's any specific kind of industry-wide effects that have have happened because of the create the the separation of disciplines creative strategy media any and all of them really so yes and no i think is the sort of sitting on the fence argument is that i think it's 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 true that creativity has declined within our industry i think what's also true is the role of advertising and particular media within that has changed its role potentially because of its ability to connect directly to e-com and be a sales channel not just a communications channel so yes that's come down but also this role has appeared as well it has possibly or definitely taken over prioritization in a lot of instances but they're two different jobs one's about making you famous and the other one is about capturing that fame and driving through to a conversion or an action as you want to it is a more sales effect channel the problem is is that everybody's trying to not write the right brief at the beginning like because if you get that right everything else becomes easy right because if you can write the right brief we can make work that's designed to make you famous and then there's probably a secondary brief which is how do i capitalize upon that fame with the right channels that have um, an ability to drive direct sales of my product or my business in some way when they get lumped together and when it goes straight into a media team in particular or into a without comms strategy being done, the answer becomes to spend it on the thing that you can measure and it's easier to measure that. And from a creative point of view is that you have also not set the ambition for uh, to be creative, to think bigger, to, um, to stretch it. It is against that sort of target. So I think if you don't get the brief right, if you don't set what the KPI is correctly, it's like getting everybody in a room and telling them to go left when the opportunity is on the right. If you're facing immediately in the opposite direction, then that's the uh, that's where you march towards. And that is the role of Comstrat, is that we come in, we line all your pieces up, we tell you you're going right and you're going left but we're going to do different jobs and then we'll all meet up together. Um, so it's a little bit yes and no. I, I sort of understand how it's happened. don't necessarily agree with it. I think it can all just be sorted out if everybody just has the right job that they understand what it is that they're answering to. Maybe we should just talk to each other more and that might help. That would be lovely. <laughs> Delightful. It would be so much fun. 
Um, it's 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 so interesting that you say setting the ambition um, because I think that's so integral from a creative perspective. Because I keep I was thinking while you were talking of the mixer uh, the mixer example you gave earlier of that young junior creative team, and that very when I when they got that brief it was probably like oh great we are doing we're doing some print stuff for a mixer wonderful that's going to make our careers, but talking to you enabled them to see it in a completely different way it enabled them to see it as the potential to be a fantastic piece of work and the change there was not creative necessarily or strategy necessarily in the in the kind of disciplinary terms so much as you just opened their mindset about what the goal was and so I wonder is is there any kind of you know you say you have to kind of break people in when when you hire when you're when you're looking for for people for your team now is there any kind of specific mindsets or is it skills specific skills that you look for that you're finding you most most important or that you're finding increasingly necessary considering the absolutely fundamental change of the place in media in our lives jen spends half her life interviewing so i'm going to let her take this i do yeah, I I I see it as part of my job is that I have cups of tea with everybody each week in and out. So you never know who your next hire is. And I think it's part of our job is that we have a chat and help, you know, give people advice if you've got it or sort of eye up potential people. I think it's in in terms of skill set, my big one is do you still like this industry? Do you still find it exciting? Do you still think it's the best, has the potential to be the best job in the world? Because the big red flag for me is despondency. And we all love to slag off the industry a little bit, but I want you to slag it off with the intention of, of making it better, of improving it, of having the ambition as to what it could be. It's the, it's, the de- despondency, I think, is is a massive red flag, and it's rife in our industry. We've just had two CSOs leave big network media agencies. Technically, that should be the best job in town, you know, but it's not. I, I, you know, I, I've done that role, and it and it isn't because, frankly, you don't get to do the work anymore. As you climb up the ladder, you do less of the thing that you love. You get caught up in more red tape. Um, and it is, it's miserable. Um, but I think once you let that misery inside you, you, you go and have beehives somewhere, do something else. Because the thing that makes this job great is the energy and passion and excitement for everybody. So that would be my, that's what I look for, is that people who are interested, excited, see the potential also want to be better than everybody else. I know like that is, when I say we're the nicest, it doesn't mean we're arrogant as well, but they, we want to do work that makes everybody else jealous. Like we want to have the ambition about, we don't give a shit about billings. Nobody cares about billings. We don't buy. So who, you know, doesn't, we, we only exist for the purposes of doing bloody brilliant work that's better than everybody else because if we if that's not what we want to do what's the point of us it we're just another agency so ambition um 
And that is the best thing about craft, like just to talk about the team that we have. They are insanely good and they're this bunch of wonderful misfits that in any other agency would get lost. But what they've done is they found each other and they all think that everybody else is cleverer, smarter, more creative than they are. So there's this really lovely, healthy sense of one-upmanship. They all want to show something or do something or move it on or improve it. And it's brilliant because they just want to do absolutely phenomenal work. And that is the only thing that matters. So yeah, energy and a desire to win. We, we, we've just hired a senior planner and he said, look, respect to you two. You have basically hired all of the media geeks in the industry. We, 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 um, we invested in a, a new bit of TGI. We call it Posh TGI. I don't think that's its name. It's Premier TGI or something like that for sort of wealthy people. There were whoops of delight around the, you, you know, that's the kind of media geekiness that that we get. You know, they're 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 always like give all little data insights that they send around on the WhatsApp chat. And we, you know, at school they probably would have their heads flushed down the loo for you know, but they 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 found a home with us. They were all over. I was going to say they're all over Chat GPT at the moment, aren't they? And um, like it is. It, terrifying but also brilliant how they embrace all of the stuff that's there and they're excited by what it can do there's just a special magic i feel when you get a bunch of weirdos together and we just weird together and it's just beautiful <laughs> there's just there's just no other way to describe it um it's it's so interesting that you talk about the the kind of lack of lack of optimism I guess in a way about the industry because the the theme for Media Cat this month is the age of discontent and I think we're all feeling that for various reasons but specifically in our industry do you feel because obviously you've mentioned kind of you know CSOs it should be the best job in the world um, and that's taking but it takes you away from the work what do you think is impacting, you know, I did um, I did a, a lovely podcast episode with Ollie Scott of Unknown and there's a lot less even kind of juniors, people entering the industry at all um, because of this sense of discontent or young people leaving the industry much earlier than they otherwise would have. I wonder if you have a point of view on, on what you think is driving that kind of feeling. I wonder whether part of it is that we are, as an industry, forcing people to specialise too early. So when I joined, I, w I moved around all of the departments and I, I kind of got a great overview of what advertising was generally before becoming, before sort of landing in media, if that makes sense. I feel now that agencies hire generally, you are going into the digital team, you are going into the tele team, you are going into the outdoor team, and there you will stay. And it sort of just gives everyone a really blinkered point of view of the world. And, and the, the net result of that is that they can't step up and out and take a, an overview because they only know their one thing. And how fucking boring is that? It's, I mean, it, you know, great if you want to specialise in that, but have a point of view on the rest of the comms mix. Otherwise, 
what you do with your life, you know. I can see why people get bored. I have a I don't think we help ourselves as well in the um we love to slag off other people. Like I, I can't you know, we have it is such an unhealthy habit to have such vocal opinions about other people's work and point out all of the faults and errors. And the truth is, it's really hard to have ideas and it's really hard to give birth to ideas and put them out into the world. We know that everybody is conspiring to kill ideas, like either with budget or ambition or, you know, like, so when you've done anything and you've got anything out into the world, I think we should celebrate it. Now, it doesn't mean see, you can't be critical and you can't, but generally, we love to pile in. And as an industry, I think that pointy finger piling in collective malaise about what does good look like is bringing us all down. And instead, and therefore we don't look like a bunch of nice people that people want to hang out with. So from the outside, if I go onto industry Twitter, you don't look like the kind of people I want to have a beer with or sit next to for Christmas dinner. Like, we've got so talking to ourselves that actually I think we should be talking to a wider audience than just the collective industry and we should be more positive about anything that anybody is doing that is trying to be creative, find another audience, use a new channel, you know, it's hard to sell washing up liquid, you know, so it's really fucking hard to get anything actually out in the world. Yeah. Like when a, when a like brilliantly creative or just incredibly smart piece of work comes out, I like to do a little happy dance for the people who got it out because I know how many times we've all put brilliant, brilliant ideas in there and they get cut at the first first round or the second round or the third round it's so hard to get something to even even mediocre to actually happen but i can i totally get it like i get why we we get ground down by kind of the process and as you say kind of almost each other like we do know a lot don't we yeah we just need to play a bit more like you know like just muck about and it'd be all right to have some fun and riff on things and to try stuff out without the fear that you're going to get it wrong or everybody's going to call you an idiot yeah definitely like it everything has become kind of so structured and time-sheeted and so on and so forth and it's hard to just find that time to just sit down and have a really stupid conversation about chat gpt or something you saw on tiktok um <laughs> then but brilliant stuff comes out of that um so I, I love that you guys are just out there trying to make everyone a bit nicer. Um, appreciate that. Um, so to leave us on a hopeful note, not discontent, um, in line with our thinking, what do you think that we kind of, as individuals, but also, you know, as employers, as part of the industry, what do you think we can do to make it a happier place to work in the Play, massive number one. Massive, what, massive number one. Focus on... 
I think that's the main one. I, I think as well, just sort of focusing on the work rather than the shit that goes around it, you know, that just making sure that we are celebrating um, work, as we were just saying. Um, and also just being happy to chew the fat. And you know, if it, if you spend a day just talking about stuff, brilliant. We try and have them. Um, uh, three or four away days um, a year, like proper, like out of the office, chew the fat. And then every week there's a couple of kind of check-in sessions where you can just open-ended sort of meeting times. But just make, uh, I suppose the other thing is feedback. We should talk a bit feedback, shouldn't we? We are a culture of feedbackers. We, we give everyone feedback. It's always about the work. It's never about the individual. We work collaboratively. Um, in, we work in Google Docs, basically, and it, it, everyone just contributes and adds ideas in. And, you know, well, it, it, and you sh you're never offended by the fact that someone has just changed the heading on your slide because they've made it better. And I feel like feedback is too often con consigned to a sort of once a year in your review we, we're you know I would say we've, we're feeding back pretty much every day every day is 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 a school day right we can let's let's make it better let's let's hone it is that is that argument exactly right have you looked at this weird bit of data you know let's just build it together and I think that that's that helps people feel stimulated. It helps them feel like they're learning, that they're growing, that they've got direction, that people are recognizing what they're doing. Um, so, yeah, feedback. Feed feed my number. Feedback is um, you've got to understand the uh, curve of feedback because um, you have to understand how to give it and also understand how people receive it. So when you give feedback... And I'm no choice for this. I was told I was brutal. I'm not. I'm like, it is all about the work and it's positive. But you have to understand that when you give somebody feedback, the first thing that they will think is fuck you. Like that is the instinctive response is then the second thing they'll think is, oh my God, I'm terrible. I'm awful. I'm never going to do any work at all. It is, I'm a disaster. And that's not helpful. The third point is, okay, now what? And you have to be able to give feedback. And you have to give it so often that the movement through stage one and stage two, because they still happen, is now so quick that you're straight into stage three, which is about positive. So, yeah, if you can build a culture of more feedback that understands that process and gets through it really quickly, you're just only ever talking about making it better. That's such a great way of putting it because it is one of the things that I think creatives especially get a really bad rap for that we don't take feedback very well. And it's like, yes, we don't, but it's also a very human thing to do. And it's kind of our job yeah. to just be like putting our soul on the table all the time. So yeah, occasionally it does hurt a little bit and I'm sorry about that. I love that idea that you can essentially just be desensitised over time just keep doing it until it becomes normal and then we can all just get on with our lives and make things better i was never a big big on feedback until i met jen and then <laughs> after every meeting that we'd first have she'd say do you have any feedback for me and i, I originally i was just like what the hell is this 
this is crazy. I'd literally have to make up feedback to give to her, otherwise she wouldn't shut up. I'm now really into it. I'm now like, I'm a big advocate for giving, oh, we will give each other feedback after this, probably. Oh, please do send me some as well. I very much welcome your feedback. Call is ended. Um, I will not be sharing that with the podcast listeners. Just yeah. uh, I would genuinely like it. I think that's such a great. It's because it's when you first say it, it feels almost negative, but when you think about it, it's a very positive, optimistic act because you're saying we can all do better together. Let's just move that process on a little bit and go to the the fun bit instead of the bit where we question our life choices. Yeah, wonderful. Well, thank you, both of you, Sally and Jen. This has been such a lovely chat. And I'm now just going to obsess over multiple things that you've said and obviously wait patiently for my feedback. Um, Thank you so much, both of you. Um, Is there anything before we finish that you want to tell the listeners that you've got coming up or anything that you are looking forward to? I was going to say, this is the self-promo. This is what we're terrible (laughs) at. No, we will take briefs. We would love more people to get in touch for a bit of crafty magic. So just the door is open. Go get crafty, guys. It sounds like so much fun. Like, sort your lives out. Um, Thank you so much, Sally and Jen, for coming on the Media Cat Magazine podcast. It has been an absolute joy to speak to you today.